Several years ago, I worked a soul-crushing job cold-calling people for charity. The office literally had no windows and was populated mainly by dudes in their early 20s who were supplementing some low-level drug dealing by working the phones and middle-aged women with long acrylic nails who would crack open a can of Monster Energy and a pack of Winnie Blues at 8.45am. They always managed to smoke exactly two cigarettes and finish the drink with five minutes to spare to go and touch up their lithium in the bathroom before the shift started. It was genuinely one of the most depressing places I've ever worked, but I bring it up because I worked there around like 2011 or 12, which was smack bang in the middle of the global phenomenon that was Fifty Shades of Grey. If you've ever wondered what the ideal target market is for a softcore erotic trilogy with a misguided vision of what constitutes kinky sex, I can tell you. It's middle-aged women with pack-a-day smoker voices using their long acrylic nails to crack open their second monster energy drink in their 15-minute break. I did not read the book, but every single woman in the office had a copy. They hid them in their laps to sneak glances at after management banned reading during shift. Lunchtime was dominated by raspy voices talking about the romance and the plot. One woman in the office was very adamant that it was a damaging portrayal of BDSM, but I suspect she just wanted us to know that she was into BDSM and a bit to seem more interesting. Mostly, there were rave reviews and excited chatter about the possible cinematic adaptation. So I thought this week we could spend some time looking at the franchise. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about fan fiction and the Fifty Shades franchise. Fifty Shades is one of the fastest-selling books ever, and its success feels inexplicable. It's not well-written. The plot is largely a half-baked excuse to move from one sex scene to the other, and even the author has expressed surprise at its popularity, saying that it was her midlife crisis writ large. You've probably heard before that it was originally a piece of Twilight fanfiction before going viral and eventually being picked up for publishing. Fan fiction has made something of a jump into the mainstream in recent years and is becoming a popular source of material for publishing houses looking to expand their genre fiction. And looking at the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, they feel like pieces of fan fiction in the way they're constructed, which is fascinating. The focus of fan fiction is usually on things that constituted fringe elements of the original text, like romance or sex because it's specifically designed to cater to the author's own wants. So how do you take those elements and turn them into a cohesive film? Well, uh, today, in an unlikely turn of events, I'm going to put forward a case that says that Fifty Shades of Grey was so successful in this endeavour that it actually came full circle, did something interesting, and is therefore a good film. <laughs> To understand why I think the Fifty Shades of Grey film trilogy is actually kind of fascinatingly good, you first have to really understand fandom, and fan fiction particularly on a granular level. With the return of total boy band domination, intense and devotional celebrity love has been picked up by mainstream media outlets and turned into a kind of weird tabloid fodder. So I'm probably not introducing you to anything you don't already sort of know something about, but it's probably helpful to get a little bit definitional, just so that I can comfortably yammer on and know that you're keeping up. Wikipedia defines fan fiction as a type of fictional text written by fans of any work of fiction, 
where the author uses copyrighted characters, settings, or other intellectual properties from an original creator as a basis for their writing. This is probably actually a little bit narrow in its definition in the sense that fanfic that uses real people as a basis, so like actors or band members, is also extremely popular. Smushing these characters together in a sexy way is called shipping. Fanfiction often spends time sort of poking at unexamined or unwritten elements of text in order to flesh out or invent relationships between characters, resituate them in more peaceful or less peaceful scenarios, or otherwise make corrections to the source material so that it reflects the desires of the fan. Often, fanfiction latches onto perceived subtext in the source material, particularly queer subtext. You always thought Kirk and Spock were a bit gay for each other on Star Trek? Surprise, here's a 15k AU novella in which Kirk owns a coffee shop and Spock is one of his regulars. Also, they fall in love. Same goes for fanfiction about real people. At the height of One Direction's fame, for example, there was a lot of news coverage around fans being so into shipping involving two of the band members that it was actually impacting the way the band interacted with each other on stage. In terms of actual output, fan fiction is usually what people would somewhat dismissively categorize as genre fiction. That is to say that it falls mainly into the category of romance or erotica, and depending on what you read, will utilize other genres like historical fiction, sci-fi, or fantasy as settings for these romances or sexy rendezvous. Because of this, much fan fiction is kind of built around particular tropes like slice-of-life stories, enemies to lovers romances, or mutual pining, with specific plot devices, like alternate universes set up around soulmates, the red string of fate, high school, and coffee shops. I didn't just pull uh, Kirk owning a coffee shop out of nowhere. Or there's just like straight up porn with no plot at all. These are all very meticulously set up and tagged on websites like Archive of Our Own, Wattpad, or fanfiction.net. They're catering to the creator and to like-minded fans, so you can literally whittle it down to a pairing of characters you like and the type of story you want to read. Because of their similarities and specificities, they're often belittled as kind of silly fantasies produced by superfans too invested in someone else's original work. Beyond being kind of condescending, this is ignoring the fact that these types of stories already have an inbuilt audience. I'm not going to get into the fact that there are fans of basically every piece of media ever made, no matter how terrible, and some of the producers of fan-made content are writing novel-length works that are sometimes better than the source material, and catering very specifically to the types of marginalised identities that don't often make it into traditional publishing outlets, because that's an argument for another time. But you've got people putting up content for free on the internet every day and getting real-time measurable responses as it spreads like wildfire across a particular fiction site. There's basically a loyal fan base before anything's even out. It's the publishing industry equivalent of a big label signing up a viral SoundCloud rapper. And that's what happened with Fifty Shades of Grey. It started out as a piece of fan fiction called Masters of the Universe, with author E.L. James writing under the moniker <laughs> Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. That's Snow Queen's Ice Dragon, writer of Masters of the Universe. 
Uh, okay. It's effectively been scrubbed from the internet now, but it was originally posted in three places. Fanfiction.net, which is a popular fanfiction site. Twilighted.net, which is an application-only Twilight fanfiction site. And the author's personal website, which she set up after fanfiction.net booted her for producing too sexy a story. It's difficult to get a gauge on exactly what her readership was, but one article I saw estimated an online readership ranging into the hundreds of thousands. People were lining up around the block to read about Bella Swan and Edward Cullen as adults with handcuffs and riding crops. When it was picked up for mainstream publishing, Bella Swan became Anastasia Steele and Edward Cullen became Christian Grey. In case you missed it the first time around, somehow, the Fifty Shades series follows Anastasia as she's courted by mysterious billionaire Christian Grey. He introduces her to BDSM via his Red Room, which is like a billionaire sex dungeon that proves that money can't buy taste even in sex dungeon decor. She's pretty into being tied up for the most part. He learns to overcome his traumatic childhood and love again. People try to destroy them, but mostly they just fuck a lot in various allegedly interesting ways. If we had to boil it down to a set of fanfiction tags, it's an alternate universe, or AU fic, uh, porn with plot, with warnings for BDSM, child abuse, and sexual harassment. On its surface, given that it reads like something from one of Mills and Boone's racier series, its runaway success may be surprising. But I think what shocks me more is that they actually went ahead with making a film series in spite of that. The reviews for the film trilogy are uh, not good. (laughs) The first film has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 25%, and that's the best of them. The other two have a rating of 11 and 12% respectively. The most generous of them seem disappointed that it was less pornographic than the novels, but mostly they just accused the bad writing and flimsy plot of the source material as spilling over onto the big screen. Now, I confess, when I initially saw these films, my response was similar. I did see the third one in the cinema without having seen any of the others, and I spent the whole time periodically kind of leaning over to my friend to ask what the fuck was going on, because so many things happen. When I went back and watched them in order, it became a little bit clearer, but it still felt really oddly paced. The scripts are doing their best, but ultimately don't have a lot to work with. Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan are hot, but again, they don't have a lot to work with. Things that in any other film would be front and centre are kind of swept aside in favour of these seemingly insignificant moments, and I found myself getting really frustrated. But I had a breakthrough. (laughs) There were two things that triggered it. The first was the helicopter crash. Yes, this romance film about BDSM and billionaires has a helicopter crash. Uh, As I was saying, uh, Christian is a helicopter pilot, but I guess that's because it's cheaper to fly your own, and I assume billionaires become billionaires by being thrifty or something. I don't know. Someone explain economics to me. Uh, Anyway, he's flying his helicopter and thinking about how much he likes spanking his girlfriend when all the lights flash red and he's going down. It cuts away to Anastasia finding out that his helicopter has crashed and no one can find his body. Oh my god, how terrible. How will she go on? 
wait, no, it's it's fine. He's just walked back into the room and it's never addressed again. Seriously, like ne- never addressed again. <laughs> uh, I sent about 200 rapid fire text messages to my friend who actually likes the films saying, uh, and I'm reading my own text messages here, is helicopter goes down and he just walks back in and says, miss me? What is, what is happening? Do we just not find out how he got home? Everyone just leaves. Does no one else want to find out how he survived a helicopter crash? No one else seems to desire this info, but it feels key. Did he walk home? She was uh, unbothered by this turn of events, and I never found out how he got home. But I did become concerned that she may not follow up if I ever walked in coated in blood after being missing for 24 hours. The second thing that uh, set off a train of thought was the film's preoccupation with sex acts that Anastasia won't participate in. Most of them are to do with anal. (laughs) It's a running joke throughout the trilogy. Uh, In the beginning, they're negotiating the sex contract, because if you're a billionaire bondage business boy, you want to have a sex contract. Anyway, they're taking particular sex acts off the table. And she requests that the entirety of the section of the contract on anal be removed, along with vaginal fisting. Uh, It's taken me up to episode 11 to mention vaginal fisting. I'm very proud. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Then, in the second film, he produces some Kegel balls, and her immediate response is, You're not putting those in my butt! as though we haven't all been exposed to Kegel balls via the medium of Gwyneth Paltrow at this point. And then in the third film, she finally tackles a butt plug. Because she didn't actually sign the sexy, sexy sex contract, and she's ready to have something in her butt now. Good for her. I don't know whether I'm just more of a pervert than I thought I was, but for a film about BDSM, the tastes in this are pretty vanilla, if we're being honest. The reason those two things triggered a breakthrough with the trilogy for me, though, was that the films are actually just very closely mirroring the fan fiction that they're based on. That is to say, they're less interested with having a good and cohesive plot, and much more interested in fulfilling the peripheral superfan dreamland that it had created. Let me reframe the helicopter crash for you. Right before Christian goes away to fly his helicopter, Anastasia gives him a box containing a birthday gift that indicates that she would like to move in with him. And then he goes missing, and she's devastated. She was ready to get her back blown out and be in love at the same time, and it's all been ripped away from her. So when he gets back, she's overjoyed, clears the family out, and they get back to being in love and boning in the shower. It's not about the helicopter crash at all. It's about this pivotal moment romantically and sexually for Anastasia and Christian. Fan fiction is focused on the peripheral. If a work isn't catering to your needs, then you can change it. Now, I'm not saying Twilight is, like, highbrow or anything, but, like, a lot of stuff happens in Twilight that isn't just about Edward or Bella. There's a lot of vampire lore, werewolf lore... Some ongoing battle, an eventual demon baby. I don't know. I didn't read them all. But these things are sort of more traditional elements of a story 
designed to make it move in a way that reflects a literary or cinematic convention, right? The Fifty Shades trilogy is the opposite. The plot points are just devices to move between the scenes of love and fucking to intensify it, which is the primary concern of the series. You can make the same argument about all of the sex. The ongoing joke about anal sex isn't actually about the anal sex at all. You almost died sex is different to first time doing anal sex is different to wedding night sex. It's about the fact that eventually she likes him enough to let him put it in her butt, in a romantic way, which is actually just about Anastasia and Christian's relationship and the negotiating of sexual boundaries. Once you accept that Fifty Shades films can't behave like normal cinema because they're not actually interested in the story that you think they should be telling, it all starts to flow a little bit better. You can appreciate the amount of time that Anna spends wearing one of Christian's shirts and cooking steak in her underwear, or how often they shower together, or the fact that every third scene or so is just him watching her look at herself in fancy lingerie, or playful banter about how they're going to have sex. It feels oddly paced because it's doing what fanfiction does. Now, I know I said I would argue that these films are kind of good. (laughs) I do think that's true, because after the last big wave of mining fanfiction forums for book deals, we're seeing more and more cinematic adaptations of these properties. And to be honest, they're pretty bad. (laughs) The one that I'm thinking of specifically is called After, which is based on a piece of One Direction fanfiction about a girl who goes to college and falls in love with a bad boy who's secretly a sad boy with a heart of gold. I went and saw this at the cinema at the behest of the same friend who likes the Fifty Shades films, and we were both kind of appalled. The plot is similarly non-existent, but it's been replaced by chemistryless montages that run for way too long and are set to the kind of upbeat pop songs that form the backing for TikTok dances. The dialogue is sparse and like barely manages to establish why the sad boy is so sad, And it also just makes all of her friends needlessly mean, which leaves her completely isolated. It's clear that the writing team and the director were unsure how to work with the material to maintain the key fanfiction elements that keep you distracted from plot holes. And that really boils the relationship down to its bare toxic essentials. A dude singling out a girl to isolate her from her friends and emotionally manipulate her into complete dependency on him. So obvious were the downfalls of this relationship that I heard one of the girls in the cinema near us say, I can't believe I read this on Wattpad when I was 12. Like, not even nostalgia could save it. (laughs) Fifty Shades has a similarly shitty dude at its core, but at least you can believe that he's likable. His family and Anna's friends get on, and there are scenes of them having fun together. Anna and Christian muck around? Like, there's an extended scene with some ice cream that definitely caused me to yell, that's how you get a yeast infection in the cinema, but at least it's just kind of horny fun. Even if they're technically at loggerheads a lot of the time, it doesn't feel that way because it's not focused on this fighting as a central theme. They're focused on the resolution of the fighting, which usually involves someone getting tied up and spanked. It's just much more competently directed because it's not trying to hide what it is. 
I know there's been a lot of recent commentary kind of revisiting early noughties films to find new value in them when re-examined in different lights. I don't think this will ever happen for Fifty Shades. The source material doesn't really lend itself to suddenly discovering new feminist angles 10 years later. But I would encourage you, if you've ever read a piece of fan fiction or been curious about it, to watch the films or rewatch them <laughs> with that angle in mind. Accept that the plot is not the point and see if it changes how you feel about them. Right, uh, well, that's the defense of the Fifty Shades trilogy that I never thought I would write. Uh, but here we are. One thing I did have to skip over, if you haven't seen the movie, is that Christian Grey, a literal billionaire, just fucks in blue jeans, like, all the time. He constantly keeps his jeans on while boning down. I think he's even in jeans, like, on a treadmill at one point. Is this hot? Is this what straight men do? Am I missing something? Someone explain heterosexuality to me next time you see me at the pub. Peace.